Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. So if you've watched, if you know me, you know that my background, a part of my background was doing inclusive marketing and inclusive um, work for organizations. And so one of the things that always just kind of grinded my nerves a little was people thinking, oh, okay, if I put a black or brown face in a picture, we've done enough. And that's just not enough. And so today, my conversation is going to be around, you know, inclusive storytelling and content and how we make it more authentic for the organization and for uh, your customers and clients. So my guest today is Prasanna Ranganathan, who is a phenomenal um, leader in diversity, equity and inclusion around storytelling and marketing and all of those things. And so just really excited to have this conversation today. So Press, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sasha. I'm thrilled to be here. So first of all, for anyone that may not know you or follow you, because I've been following you for a while. So t- for someone that may not know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about you and your background? For sure. So I always describe myself as someone who is a storyteller and who's deeply curious about stories. And that's animated the approach to my life and my career. I often trace my memories back to the specific television programs or films that I watched growing up during the various parts of my life. And as I think about storytelling and how it's animated my career, it's always been whose stories are we told and whose stories are we curious about? And what are the reasons we're told certain stories? So that sort of inclination, that interest, that passion around storytelling informed my approach first as a human rights lawyer, then as a diversity, equity, and inclusion specialist, then as a leader in the space, as a documentary film producer, as a social media and red carpet correspondent, and finally as a writer and a storyteller myself. So as I think about how I've crafted my career story, it's been about the curiosity to learn Who are we hearing from? Who are we not hearing from? And what are the ways in which I can dismantle barriers so that we tell stories that reflect the world in which we live? I love all of that. Um, And I think what is so important about that is what you said around whose stories aren't being told, right? When I think back to my childhood, you know, as listening to you and just kind of thinking about with stories that I heard or um, cartoons that I watched, there was a certain theme, right? Especially early on because there was very limited diversity kind of in what was being offered. Um, And I think for me, what was interesting, my family being from the Caribbean, I had those stories that my friends in America, you know, in the US didn't have. Right. And so, again, it was shaped in a very different way. And I know you and I've kind of talked about that as well, too, having um, a background kind of outside of the U.S. 
and how that shapes and informs storytelling. So can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, I love that question. So my family is from India. I was born and raised in Canada, but all of my extended family beyond myself and my parents are still in India. And so for me, cultural connection to my family in India was through stories. And at first I remember it being through letters that my grandmother wrote to us. Then it was audio cassettes that they would send to mm. us where they would sit in conversation with one another, tape the conversation and send it to us. And we would play it while eating dinner. So it felt like we were eating with our family. And the third way was when my grandmother moved to Canada to live with us. Um, also the ways in which she shared her story growing up with me so that I understood more of what brought her to that moment in her life. So stories have always been that cultural bridge between home and abroad. And like you said, Sasha, we often in our family would look around for and try to cling to stories in popular culture that reflected even a modicum of our experience. And that was so rare. So these treasured stories and connections back home were really what kept us going. But it ultimately also, like I said, sparked that curiosity for me that I don't quite fit in here. I don't quite fit in in India. I'm always sort of searching for my place and was clinging to the stories that gave me a sense of recognition, a sense of belonging. Um, and I often say this, it's like, uh, as a racialized queer person with a disability, I'm legally blind. The stories that have been told about dimensions of my identity have often been fraught or rooted in different stereotypes. So mm -hmm. I also just never felt that sense of connection to something deeper deeper than what was being shown on the surface. And that curiosity, I think, animated my pursuit of this work in my career. I love it. I love it. And the whole thing about the cassette tapes, I'm like, oh, that is so sweet. I love, love, love that idea. Um, you know, so as I'm thinking through this and, you know, I shared at the top, inclusive marketing was something that, you know, that I've done in part of my career and making sure that we told the stories that aren't being told, right? How do we highlight, again, I was in tech, you know, what does someone that looks like me, what is their experience in tech? How did they get into tech? Um, or what can you do? And so highlighting folks that are not the traditional tech bro in their experience and what tech has been able to do to change their lives. And so as I listen to you and we're talking about these stories, you know, how can organizations use stories in a way that is authentic, but also not... Um, tokenizing because then there's a fine line there love that question that's sort of core to what animates my work as well it's this idea that stories have the potential to not only reflect the world in which we live but imagine the world we seek to build and so if stories have this dual purpose this purpose of representation and this purpose of defining the contours of our dreams or our visions for the future, that can take place within an organization. So as an organization, we can look around and see who is and is not included, and then we can build the systems necessary to include them. Mm -hmm. And then as we think about the future of our organization, what are the bold, audacious things we can do within the confines of our mission or even beyond our mission to make sure that we are clearing a path that removes barriers and that also creates opportunities for people within and outside of our organization as well. So for me, the biggest thing is stories are the first point of contact when it comes to understanding the current state of affairs. We often look at data, like points of data, representation data, 
as a metric that's really important. And I said, data is one piece, but qualitative data is just as important. So having deep conversations with employees that are within your organization, having conversations with candidates who applied to your organization and weren't hired so they understand what barriers, ex so the organization, sorry, understands what barriers existed to people's entry into the organization. And then doing those regular pulse surveys, qualitative interviews with your employees to understand. Now, this work can quickly become performative as we know, especially when organizations extract and seek stories, ask you to share your pain and trauma, and then do nothing with it. Yeah. So when I talk about stories, I'm saying be alive to the existence of stories around you. Don't ask people to share their trauma if you're not going to do anything. Actually, don't ask people to share their trauma at all. But right. if you are getting people to share with you their lived experiences, make sure that you don't just use it for entertainment, but that you use it to inspire meaningful action and change. I love that last part because there's so many um, organizations. Well, it, it's kind of in two things. They definitely cherry pick the stories that elevate and make them look great and wonderful. Um, but I think that there's a disservice in that as well, too, because if you aren't listening to the other stories, the trauma that's being caused and can continue to happen when you bring someone in, they're like, well, this isn't what I was told. You know, this isn't the story that was shared with me. I call it the Wizard of Oz, right? Like you're told about this wonderful, glorious place and it's nothing but a little man on a bicycle yeah. behind a curtain, right? Like, so there has to be some authenticity in that as well too. And it's not to say that the organization is horrible, but it's realistic and there's opportunity for us to grow. Like we're working on this. This is something yes. that we're aware of. Um, and, you know, these are the things that we're doing to increase X, Y, and Z. And so I think that in that, I love what you said, because that is the first point of contact is those stories. And so many times people make up stories based on the limited information that they have or that they get. Yes, I love that. I often say that uh, with stories, we ask people to share their lived experiences and trauma within our organizations ostensibly saying we need to understand what is the current state of affairs so that we can take action. And I want to tell people, do not think that your organization is a magical utopia free from racism, sexism, <laughs> ableism, and other forms of othering, marginalization, and discrimination. I wish it could be, but it isn't. Mm -hmm. So stories of these isms exist across all industries, all sectors. You don't need to look very far to understand what is happening and being replicated within your organization. So don't ask your employees to share their trauma as a prerequisite to you taking action. So that's the first thing I always say. Stories don't exist elsewhere. Stories are existing around you at all times. And so when you were saying that, that idea of um, we have to understand what's happening, I always remind people, I'm like, we already know. We already know. <laughs> we already know what's happening. Absolutely. Yes. You know, and, and what you said just now just kind of clicked some for me, something I experienced, you know, working in an organization. Um, I posted something on LinkedIn around the experiences of women of color in corporate spaces. That was the article. And I just kind of put out there, you know, that yes, I've experienced this. Many women of color have experienced these things that this article is speaking to. I then get called in <laughs> to HR 
seen as a disgruntled employee that's making the company look bad um, and, the, and the reason why black people are not coming to apply for that organization, right? First of all, if I had that kind of power, why would I be working here? Anyway, <laughs> that's like Oprah Winfrey kind of power. Um, but to your point, it's like there was this mindset of, oh, it doesn't happen here, right? Mm -hmm. That's what happens out there. And those, those are those women of color. That's their experience. It doesn't happen here. Mm -hmm. And so what was ironic about that is how I was treated was exactly what was being said in the article. Yeah. And there's two right. things that your story really powerfully highlights for me. It's that women of color, uh, it, I always say it, also indigenous, black and other racialized women specifically face these forms of discrimination and othering. And mm -hmm. also we can look to the highest echelons of power in this moment to see those stories being replicated. Yes. Beyonce not winning album of the year, Rihanna being criticized for her Super Bowl performance, the woman King Viola Davis and Gina Prince-Bythewood being snubbed at the Oscars. These are women at the height of their careers doing exemplary work, facing barriers and discrimination who are coming out to talk about it. So the mm -hmm. reality is, is that these forms of othering, exclusion, discrimination and oppression are facing black women in all industries and sectors. And the second thing I will say is change will not happen as long as people who are allies and have other forms of power and privilege speak out about these experiences so that it's not just Black and women of color speaking out and saying, this is our lived experience. We, it needs to be amplified by allies across all dimensions of diversity. And so the frustrating thing I'm noticing right now is even people with the most power are facing the same responses. So how do you think a racialized woman at an organization who's bringing up racism or sexism or um, other forms of bias and discrimination is going to be treated if those in the highest positions of power are not being believed? Yeah. Wow. It's, it's again, I, I say this often, it's fighting, you know, an uphill battle, pushing a boulder, you know, up a hill in the process, right? Daggers being thrown at your back. Like you're still trying to move forward with all of this, um, this coming at you, you know, and I want to do a little bit of a pivot because I think in part of the storytelling and you, you shared this as part of your story, you know, in being, um, having a disability that is often so sidelined in some of these stories, right? Or it is the story without taking into context, the other identities or experiences, um, of people. And I've had several guests on the show where we've talked about those intersecting identities and what walks in first, right? Or what comes in first um, for others versus for you. And so can you talk about that a little bit and, and how, again, being more authentic and holi not holistic, more inclusive um, of telling those stories in a way that again is not tokenizing? Yeah, I love that. That's a really... Fantastic question. And it one, it's one that makes me think a lot. I, I often point to the University of Southern California Annenberg Inclusion Initiative research. And what they do is they look at the top 100 films every year to understand the various dimensions of diversity that are represented. And mm -hmm. with people with disabilities, their latest study, I think, said it was like 23 to 2.7%. Anyway, it was under 3%, where the population of people with disabilities in the United States is over 25%. 
So think about in terms of just sheer representation, characters with disabilities were represented 10% of all characters and 10% of their existence in the overall population. So grossly underrepresented to begin with. When we look at stories about people with disabilities, it was often rooted in struggle stories. So mm -hmm. the focus was solely on the person's disability. Mm -hmm. The focus was solely on them overcoming adversity because of their disability. And the story was about the ways in which they triumphed in the face of all odds. So yeah. when our identities are narrowed to a point where you only see, it's not just about representing us on screen, it's about when the stories that you tell about us are so specific and singular that people cannot see the fullness and the intersecting identities and the robustness and the richness of who we are and how we show up in the world. And so that's where right. I think storytelling is failing when it comes to people with disabilities. The other thing I will say, and this is potentially a controversial take, is... Don't um, worry. <laughs> I love it. Is um, representation of people with disabilities is still the one acceptable form of appropriation. And what I say is yes. it's one place where non-disabled actors can still play characters with disabilities and they are rewarded for it in the mm -hmm. form of Academy Awards, in the form of lucrative contracts, in the form of redefining their careers. Disability is viewed as a costume that a non-disabled person can wear with the goal of seeking financial success, mainstream success, publicity, accolades. And what I wanna say to people is that there are disabled actors and artists who exist across all dimensions of diversity that are facing insurmountable barriers to get access to the industry. So why aren't studios working with actors with disabilities, artists with disabilities to bring those stories to life? And that brings me to the point that your second part of your question asked is, what can we do to avoid those tropes? Yeah. And for me, it is meaningful and authentic hiring, not at the casting phase of the process. It's meaningful and authentic hiring at the creator stage of the process. Mm -hmm. so who are the people pitching ideas? Who are the people in the writer's room? Who are the people that are in all aspects of production design, um, in directing and storytelling? And it also comes to who is the studio head or the streamer head greenlighting the storytelling? Um, because as long as... At, sorry, as long as there's not that diversity of identities and lived experiences in all of those places and spaces, if we only wait for casting, it is too late to make a meaningful difference in the stories that we're telling. I, oh my gosh, yes, <laughs> all of that. You know, one of the um, last kind of projects that I was, I can't even say was involved in, so help support when I was at Amazon, was working with Amazon Studios mm -hmm. and they partnered with Howard University to increase diversity behind the camera. And so it was really exactly what you're saying, right? They partnered with the law school and other parts of the business that was not necessarily the actor so that mm -hmm. there was more diversity in those parts of the, um, of the production, right? More so than just on screen. So I truly appreciate that and you sharing that. And, you know, the other thing that immediately came to mind as you were talking was the movie Coda. Yeah. Right. You know, and all the accolades that they got. But the beauty of that was they used actors that were deaf or hard of hearing. Right. They really, um, even with the writers and just trying to make sure that that, yes, that was a part of the story, but that wasn't the whole mm -hmm. story. Um, and again, it's the more holistic 
side of this. <clears throat> the other thing um, that came up for me too was there's that saviorism story that comes out of this, right? You know, oh, she's in a wheelchair and she's overcome all of these obstacles. And what that perpetrates is this feeling of sorrow that people have after they see movies like that of like, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, how can I, like, it's almost this, it's a stereotype. Yeah. It starts to become a stereotype in, yes, I'm in a wheelchair. However, that doesn't define me. Mm -hmm. But because of what you've been exposed to, you now see this as a burden, right? That you feel sorry for me and then therefore have to help in ways that are unnatural for you to help. Yeah, right? which brings up such a great point when you talked about tropes earlier. I mean, these are the storytelling tropes that we hear about or we see about people with certain identities and experiences. And, and in simplest forms, tropes are narrative shortcuts that people use yeah. to rely on previous associations of an identity and lived experience and the um, singular path that they need to navigate. So when you said um, the struggle story or the idea of like needing to feel sympathy for someone as opposed to feeling empathy about their lived experience, that's a trope. The trope of um, people from certain racialized backgrounds being portrayed as impoverished and by the end of the story, they're abundantly wealthy. It's like against all odds, they found this wealth and success. That is a trope that's used against indigenous black and other racialized communities. Yeah. And so I, I love that you highlighted the, the existence of tropes and storytelling because so many times people will use the trope as the vehicle to justify their yeah. work around DEI. They'll say, listen, I did seven stories about this community and I want to say I'm really committed to this work. Can we dig into those seven stories? Did right. all of those seven stories use a singular focus or a trope to tell the story of that community? If so, you're perpetuating the problem. Yeah. You're not finding ideal solutions. Absolutely. And, you know, and when I put this back into organizations and corporations and the things that they do, how are they feeding into these tropes as well, right? In their marketing materials or in what they're putting out to customers um, to tell about their organization, right? And the other part of that, and I, and I talk about this often with my clients, is there's the, mis the message that you're intending to send, but there's also the message that may, other people may hear that aren't part of the, your target group, right? Yeah. And so what are you really saying and how are you thinking about who may be hearing a very different story based on what you're not saying? Um, and so I don't think a lot of people are, are thinking about those things. And it, it's just very fascinating to me because it, it does, it always goes back to like, what story, what message are you sending? And that's across every aspect of the business. Yeah, and Sasha, you highlight two things that are so important. Organizations, corporations, where they're not long-form storytellers. So they're not film studios. They're not streaming. Right. Everyone, like I say, all of us are telling stories every single day, no matter what we do for a job. Our yeah. life is a story unfolding. Every action we take, every email we send is an opportunity for us to tell a story. So we're none of us are absolved from the work of storytelling. This is all a core part of who we are and how we move in the world. But I will say corporations that tell smaller stories 
almost have an increased responsibility to be specially clear about this work because mm -hmm. their short time with the audience is telling a very defined and detailed story that's going to have a profound impact. So how do you intentionally thread in inclusive content or inclusive storytelling best practices? Because while you're having the attention of the audience, you want to make sure that the stories you're sharing are inclusive and that they're reflecting different dimensions of diversity. And the other thing you said, which is central to this work, is the intention versus impact discourse. Yeah. Um, Brandon Kyle Goodman, who was a writer on the show Bad uh, Big Mouth, sorry, he he wrote this tweet a while ago that's so exceptional, and I always come back to it. Um, and it's about it. It does not matter what your intention is if you've been informed that what you have shared has caused harm. Yeah. So when you have been told that what you have been shared has caused harm, don't lean back into the intention of what you were trying to do. Instead, lean forward to understand, listen, and empathize with your audience so that you can do better in the moment by apologizing, acknowledging, and, and making change, and that you're transformed in some way in the future. That in telling stories going forward, you will never again do what you did because you've borne witness to the experience of another person, and you will allow that to inform how you're going to move forward in your work and in the world. I love it. I mean, that that is so core to inclusion. Yes. Right? That is what inclusion is about. And I, you know, when, when you said to not lean into your intent, because people, their walls go up, they get very defensive about but I didn't mean to, you didn't mean to run over my foot, but you did. And now I have a broken foot, right? So that's kind of what this really is about. It's understanding your audience and making sure that they feel, regardless of their background, feel included or seen in ways that they may not have. Or now that your product is speaking to them in a way that like, yes, okay, I feel seen by them. They mm. now understand what's happening. Um, and so I, you know, I think of kind of Rihanna, you mentioned Super Bowl, you know, Rihanna and even Fenty Beauty and her coming out with the, you know, 40 plus shades for, she had just come into the makeup industry, right? There have been hundreds of years of makeup, right? With very limited shades, but now all of a sudden that she's shifted that and folks are like, yes, I can find a shade that works for me. That's, that's the story of inclusion. Right now, I talk about products a lot, but, you know, again, in services, what are you providing folks that may have a disability that they're not having to ask for an accommodation, but it's built into what you're doing because your story is about inclusion. Um, and so it's, again, how are we telling these stories in a way that people see, feel valued, seen, heard, connected, understood, respected? You know, all of those things when they walk in the door or they work with someone or even come into your organization as a new employee. Yeah. So something you said from uh, earlier, you referenced Oprah Winfrey. And I, I sort of thought about <laughs> Oprah Winfrey again in the context of intention. And she did this exercise at the beginning of all of her production meetings for I think she had 4,561 episodes of the Oprah Winfrey show. Don't ask me how I remember that. <laughs> That number always sticks out in my head. But she said the one thing she did for the inaugural production meeting for each show was she asked the producer that was supervising the series, that episode, what is your intention for this episode? 
Mm-hmm. Whether it was a makeover episode, whether it was an interview with Reese Witherspoon about her newest film project, whether it was a, a conversation with Eckhart Tolle, she asked the producer to articulate what is your intention for this episode. And the intention can sometimes be entertainment, it can be bringing joy, it can be an education, it can be an enlightenment, it can be a lot of things. But by articulating clearly what the intention of the episode was at the outset, she allowed the other members of the production team to ask questions to challenge when the impact of that episode maybe didn't align with the intention. Mm. And by doing that exercise as a part of what she did on every show, you saw the success of that show as being sort of this like shining star in television history. Um, And that wasn't by accident. It was a clear alignment around intention and impact. I love it. I love it. And again, it's taking the time to ask those questions and making sure that the intended impact is one that aligns with, again, the values of the organization, you know, where everyone wants to be. So I I appreciate that story. So Press, wanna ask you, how do you take care of yourself when you're doing this work, right? Because you're in lots of different places. I see you all over the place. Um, How do you take care of yourself? What do you do to fill your cup? I love this question. So as someone who works on inclusive storytelling full-time and DEI, I don't think it would be surprising to say that stories continue to be the place where I connect to the fullness of myself. Uh, Sometimes that shows up as romantic comedies. I mean, Notting Hill forever. And sometimes I just need to be swept into the story that is beautifully told and richly resourced and powerfully imagined and remind myself that the world is bigger than me. Hmm. Sometimes you get so internal and say, how is this happening? How is this happening? How is this happening? And for me, books and films and television have always helped me imagine a world that's bigger than myself. And for the longest time, it was imagining a world bigger than myself when I didn't see myself represented. And now thankfully there are stories that represent my lived experience, which allow me to not have to connect to someone who isn't like me, but to see myself reflected in some of those stories. So stories for me is the big way in which I fill my cup. And then the other thing that I do every night is my gratitude journal. And it's five specific things from that day that I'm grateful for. And so when I started the process, I was really bad at it. (laughs) I used to, I used to, just try to rush through a list. And then sometimes it would be, I'm really grateful that the worst case scenario didn't happen, which is not how to do your gratitude journal. I learned later, someone told me. But the great thing about the gratitude journal is I'm filling my cup throughout the day because I'm noticing moments and memories that I want to reflect on before bed tonight. So our conversation today is something that's going to go in my gratitude journal because you created space for me to talk about why inclusive storytelling matters, how we all have the power as storytellers to change the world. And you also, I think one of the most powerful things we can do for one another is to bear witness um, and to allow what we've borne witness to to transform how we're going to move forward. And so you did that for me and I'm profoundly grateful. So you filled my cup in a way that I couldn't have even anticipated. Oh, don't make me cry. No, but thank you so much. You know, I think it's just so powerful. And, you know, as you were talking about, you know, how you fill your cup with stories, a TV show popped into my mind, which was um, Queen Sugar. Oh, yes. And there's so much I love about that show, but it it ties so much into what we've been talking about. You know, my, my partner's from Louisiana. And so 
to see some of the stories that he he knows his mother knows about just the dynamics of people yeah. being now shown on on television and the author of that book is from the same town that his mom grew up in so it's it's again that representation yes and being able to to tie into i mean every tuesday night like clockwork we would watch the show um but the beauty of it, it and it tied back to where you started the story was we would then do a debrief call with his mom and my mom on on the phone, you know, and again, it was this bonding moment of this around this beautiful story. So when you talk about the power of those stories and representation, that just immediately, you know, came to mind as yes, because it, it can connect us in ways, especially if we see ourselves in those stories and the dynamics of relationships and all of that. So mm -hmm. Is there's power. There's power. I love that. Honestly, you. I mean, I don't want to go back into the topic of our discussion. <laughs> you brought up Queen Sugar, and I have to say, Queen Sugar is the blueprint for inclusive storytelling. Yes. I mean, Ava DuVernay made a conscious decision that every single episode of that series across all the seasons would be directed by a woman. Yeah. And she also decided that you did not need to have the resumes and the credentials of previous television directing experience to get those opportunities because she realized that for so many uh, racialized women, those opportunities were not available to them because studios were asking for irrational amounts of experience. Yeah. And so when I say what shows up on screen reflects what happened behind the scenes, it's because that show set up a system which told us that the lies that we had been told in the past are no longer true. You don't need mm -hmm. pipeline programs and internships to give people opportunities to do their life's work. You can give people yeah. opportunities to do their life's work and let get out of the way so that they can do it. So for all mm -hmm. organizations, live the queen sugar model, create robust hiring systems, create systems and processes that attack and mitigate bias, and also allow people to tell stories that you have not seen before because yes. our world becomes richer when we understand one another, when we empathize with one another, and when we move forward in the world, realizing that the world is so much bigger than our singular experience. And there's no greater gift than that. Oh my gosh, I love it, I love it. Chris, if someone wanted to get in contact with you, what is the best way for them to do that? Yes, for sure. So. Um, you can look me up on any of the platforms. Uh, Prasanaranganathan is my name. That'll be spelt in the show notes, I'm sure. At Prasran on Instagram, at Pranganathan on Twitter. Uh, and my website is prasanaranganathan.com. And that'll have information on my DEI services and how you can get in touch if you want to collaborate around inclusive storytelling. I love it. I love it. This has just been... This, this has filled my cup today as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. And everyone, thank you for being a part of today's episode of DEI After Five. Hopefully you've walked away with a couple of things that you all can do and throw out some of the old mindset and, and really think about inclusion in, in this way through storytelling. So again, thank you all for being here. Until next time, have a good one. <laughs>